Welcome to Built by a Boss. I'm your host, Evelyn Brooks, journalist, award-winning producer, author, founder of In My Solitude LA. On this podcast, you'll hear unique origin stories, growth strategies, and meaningful insights from successful female founders and entrepreneurs who are leading conscious businesses and creating groundbreaking careers with intention. On our show today, Maisha Dellinger, the founder and CEO of Curls, a natural hair care brand founded in 2002. You can find her products on the shelves of Target, Walmart, CVS, Amazon, and beauty supply stores around the world. She's the host of Mind Your Business on the OWN Network and author of the book Against All Odds, From the Projects to the Penthouse. She's a mom, a wife, a philanthropist, a force of nature. She took time out of her busy schedule to share a story, give us solid advice on how to grow a brand without borrowing money, tips on how to create a lasting connection with your customers, and why it's important to pay attention to their needs. And best of all, a huge secret to her incredible success in business. Thank you and enjoy the conversation. Hi, Mahisha. It's Evelyn. How are you? Awesome. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Built by a Boss. I am a huge fan of your work, your company, your show. And when I started this show, you were one of the first people that I thought of that I had to talk to. Oh, great. Thank you. I appreciate it. So you have been in business for quite a while. You've passed that five-year mark. Can we talk about life before Target? I know you worked at Intel, but a lot of people don't really know that you started that business in your home. Yes, I actually started in my home. My warehouse was actually my garage, and my husband and I were the first pick pack shippers and processors. We actually worked together collectively, um, and we were 100% e-commerce based before we were in retail. And that was for a, for the first six years or so. And then we went, well, the first six years we were, you know, e-commerce based. And then that went from e-commerce to, during the six years from e-commerce to local salons, to salons outside of the California area where I'm from, and then to distributors carrying the line. Um, and then we got a call that Target was looking to expand and level up their ethnic category because relaxed or sales were down. So we're one of the original four brands they brought in to create the new category. And it was four of us. And they said, if you do well, we will continue to grow and expand your distribution and create what it is today. So kind of Target started the category uh, for women of color, for natural women. And then all the other retailers kind of took a note and and created the same atmosphere in their stores. And so you did that first line, but then you have continued to create new lines. Mm -hmm. Explain your product development cycle. How does that work? Because a lot of people think, oh, you start a line, you get it in Target. It's not necessarily going to stay there unless you continue to originate and disrupt what you've already created. Well, for me, I, I start with what's missing in the marketplace, what's needed for my consumers, what hasn't been overdone ingredient-wise. So those are the things that go into the decision-making of what we're going to develop. So all those things are things we analyze. And yes, you're right. You can't go into retail um, just expecting, okay, I'm going to create a line and sell. Well, you have to create the demand first and you do that in the actual market. And, And I always suggest anyone that I speak to and mentor that start online 
build your base, do not try, try to go straight to retail. First of all, most won't let you go straight to retail. But if anyone did, you would do yourself a disservice because if it doesn't sell to the level that is needed, then you'll be taken out. And that will you know, be a major, major cost blow to lose your business, your whole business if that happens. So I would suggest get your grounding, get your demand, and before you hit the retail landscape. So something that I've noticed about you in terms of how you market your brand is it appears as if you're still doing all of the same things in terms of marketing that you did when you didn't have Instagram, when you didn't have influencers working with you, just your guerrilla marketing. It's like it still hasn't stopped. So can you talk about how important continuing to connect with your base is? Oh, it's everything. Um, unlike the big companies, the L'Oreal's of the world, Pantene, you, you know, we are our consumer. I am the consumer. So being in touch and talking to her is critical. It's important. She has to feel connected to the brand. Um, and that's something that we really don't take for granted. So it will always be that way. When you're working on a new product, what role does the consumer play in that? Because as women of color, we all have different hair textures. Do, do women email you and say, hey, I need a product that does this? How important is the feedback of your customer? Oh, yeah, it's, it's very important. I wasn't planning on bringing a blueberry styling mousse to the market, but our consumers kept asking for it. And I'm like, okay, guys, we'll bring it. And they said, we want larger sizes, so we brought larger sizes. So we listen. We're very engaged, very activated with them. And so it's important to hear what they want. When you start a new line, how do you decide whether or not, you know what, I'm going to expand this line or we think this line is done Let's start something completely different. Anything we do regarding the brand and the consumer-based products, we, we, we have to listen to the market. So if we go, this isn't performing well, we understand that it's not being received, then we will discontinue something. If it obviously needs more of something, like the Blueberry Collection is our number one selling collection, and then it started out with one item. And because mm-hmm. the response to the ingredient story and they love the smell um, and the performance, we realized we had, we had to make sure we bring her more of that. So, you know, every single decision is based on input. Now, you started this business from your home. And before you know it, and we know there's a lot that happened in between, you get to a place where were you called by Oprah to do the show? How did the show come about in terms of the timeline of your business? So I actually was approached by the producers because they were looking to create a show to help women of color. Oprah had an idea that she wanted to, she saw the the numbers, statistics showing that black female-based businesses are up um, 300%, but less than 4% make it to the million dollar mark. So she wanted to help bridge the gap. So the producers remember me from another show and they wanted to interview me. And then they decided that they wanted to use me as their host. So that's how it came about, but it was really through the producers, but it was a great, great opportunity. We had a great time. And I just actually saw Oprah just a few days ago and thanked her for that opportunity because it really did leave a mark for women with women of color. They really, really enjoyed it. Especially women entrepreneurs who are looking and thriving to, you know, to change their game. Yeah. I think the thing about that show that was so amazing is that if you had a business, you were able to see where you were in the process and also what your issues might have been and how you could actually take steps to kind of change them. But the through line that I saw that was really important that I would love for you to talk about, it was this 
idea of a lot of women got to a certain place in their business. They started it themselves, but they were kind of afraid to let go of the reins. And how do you think women can move through that? And, w- and why do you think that's such a big issue for us? Yeah, well, that was Gloria the Foot Nanny, whom I love dearly. She's amazing. She did not want to give up reins to a lot of things that could have easily been outsourced, and it really diminished the value of her employees. So I think it's I think it's part of just that's an individual thing. I don't know if it's all women, but or most. But I think it, for for Gloria specifically, it was her desire to control every element of every piece of her business. And she didn't realize until I came in that that was actually detrimental to the success of the business because using this amazing, established, accomplished publicist to label jars, she could be better used getting you publicity. And instead of doing this manual job here, that easily can be automated. So that's what we changed instantly. But that was her desire to have everything under her under one roof that she visually and really had hands on every single day. Versus just letting her co-packer do it, who had a labeling machine. So we have to change our mindset. What do you think are some of the other ways in which women get stuck sometime in kind of moving to the next level of their businesses? I think um, overall, it's, and it's kind of, this is also a general issue with entrepreneurs, is the failing of planning. Planning, like failing to plan is planning to fail. If you don't have a business plan, a structure, a, a marketing plan, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's your roadmap? So that's one thing we talked about too on the show is making sure that you start with the plan. What role do you think money plays in that? In planning? In addition to planning. Maybe someone is a, a great planner, but they're not necessarily kind of using their money correctly. So if like you started your business in your garage, so there had to be a conscious decision. I'm planning my business. This is what I want to happen. But then I'm taking a certain amount of money and I'm putting it back into my business instead of back into a purse or a bag. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Money management and really being a good steward, a great, forget great, but an exceptional steward over the finances that you have is important to continue to grow and sustain your business and your success and your wealth. Because if you made $51 million, but you spent 52, then you're, you're broke as someone who doesn't have, you know, hardly anything. So it's about definitely rethinking how we, how we use money how you know, and the purpose of money. I see a lot of people who are, you know, brand new entrepreneurs that as soon as they make it quote unquote, then they go buy that big new house mm-hmm. as a residential home that they occupy, which is not bringing any, value to them besides the fact they love the aesthetics of this new home. So living below your means is important. Being diligent about reinvesting back into your business when you first start out. Like when you get your first check, you don't go verge and get, you know, or a bag or snow bag, you know, you go reinvest that back into the company. So it's a mindset that has to happen that I also talk about quite a bit all the time that I'm a proponent of shifting our mindsets. And I really um, love Lynn Richardson for that reason. Lynn Richardson is a, a money expert and she's always on, had been regularly on uh, a show. And she is a great um, person to connect you with, to connect with, to help save on taxes, but also to help um, with a shift in your mindset. She's a phenomenal speaker. That's great. So information, let's talk about that because I find that that is one of the keys as well. When you're trying to move to a new level of success, you don't even know what you don't know until you get to that place. 
So what type of hurdles did you have to overcome in terms of getting new information, a lack of information, connecting with people who have the information that you needed? Yeah, it's important because like you say, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and and I, that's why I always suggest getting a mentor in your industry because they have been through a, a good season uh, mentor will have experienced a lot and can give help you avoid pitfalls um, and give you some valuable lessons that to help you propel forward and save a lot of time, a lot of money. Um, and that's how I get great information. Whenever I have a question about something, I call my, my mentor and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you even, what do you know about that? Having someone you can tap into or multiple people you can tap into is definitely important. And so you actually started your, your own mentoring organization for that reason. Can you talk about that? Yes. Uh, so Black Girls Make a Millions Academy, um, and I have two, so I'm not sure which one you're referring to, but the that Black one. Girls Make a Millions Academy is, um, a, is actually after I wrapped my show on OWN, I got a lot of requests for personal one-on-one mentoring. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, giving the way, you know, time is, and, you know, if a lot of people only want one of me, I knew I couldn't personally be a mentor to everyone. So I decided to create an opportunity for women to come together and get the information, the resource, the access, the, you know, the training, the, the workshops and everything you need networking to succeed. And so we, a few months after we wrapped that we launched, we actually opened up this academy and we had our first event last June in California. And then we did it for a vision 2020 in December in Miami. And then we're doing another event in April in New York. Um, but it really was to bring these ladies together to do just that. And it was phenomenal. Wow. That's, that's amazing because it really speaks to what's happening now, which is so many women are starting their own businesses and to be able to have someone that you can talk to or connect with, or just be, you know, among other women who are doing that is pretty incredible. And so yeah. one of the things that I think is amazing and I want you to speak to this, when you were talking about being on OWN and the statistic of 4% of Black women who start businesses make it to the million-dollar mark, how do you want to address that statistic? And what are some of the things that women can do to get to that place? First of all, before you do anything, definitely start with a plan. But I suggest score.org, like Mm -hmm. score a goal. Um, score.org is a, is a great resource because you get free mentors in your industry. They assign you someone and these are all retired executives and they get your profile and they have chapters in um, every major city or most major cities. They'll connect you with someone that can help you get um, your business started. When I first started, I actually went to score. I was in Sacramento back then and I got an, an amazing mentor who um, helped me through a lot of things I didn't know. And they have free classes every weekend. Um, and those classes are for entrepreneurs, um, for business plan, writing plans, marketing writing plans, how to use QuickBooks, budgeting. I mean, all these amazing classes for free. So the way to get yourself on the right path is to prepare your path. And, and how do you prepare your path? You have to go and get the knowledge. And that's where I, I started. And I still recommend it highly. Why do you think so many women are starting businesses? I feel like a lot of women are starting businesses because they're just enfranchised now with um, corporate America. They are extremely disenfranchised. Women have been marginalized, right-sized, ostracized. Like I remember my experience and thinking I'm going to go rise the ranks of corporate American Intel and just shoot up those ranks because I was working so hard, so diligent, and 
an amazing, you know, stellar employee. And none of that happened. In fact, I experienced the opposite. So people are being disenfranchised and want to control their own legacy. And that's, you know, and I see that it's like the growth is phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible. Well, I think one of the things I think people are, are realizing is that, you know, you hear the buzzword generational wealth. Everybody's kind of talking about that. But I think the, the other thing is that you cannot inherit a job, right? It's, it's kind of like you have to create some kind of plan beyond what you're doing day to day. One of the key ways to expand your income is by becoming an, an entrepreneur. Honestly, I hate to say it to those who are in corporate America, but unless you come in to, you came into Amazon on the, when it was brand new and got stock options or any other big company and came at the ground floor, you're not going to build wealth working for someone else. You're just not. You can definitely gain wealth if you work for someone else and you invest wisely with the money that you have made at a corporate you know, job. But the way to build wealth is through definitely entrepreneurship, real estate, and investing typically. So, you know, if that's your goal, and some people, you know, aren't looking to seek, seek wealth, they're seeking comfort, being comfortable, um, and, and have a different lifestyle in mind. Maybe some just want to work part-time and just enjoy more of a free life. It just depends on your goals. But if your goal is to become wealthy, you're like less likely to work for someone else. That's so true. So this is really interesting too. You have started a completely new business, Exquisite Hair Factory. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a reason behind why you started that. Can you talk about Exquisite Hair Factory and why you decided to create that completely new vertical? Yes. um, 50% of women of color wear adornments of some type, whether it be, you know, um, you know, faux locks to wigs, weaves, clip-ins, whatever. We play with it. We have fun with it. And women are looking for quality options. And so that's one of the, the, my areas I'm obviously in hair care. So that was an easy extension for me to get into given that I'm servicing black women on a regular basis. So when I was approached by my current partner who actually was on the, my show, it was Maxi. She actually started this company and was looking for a partnership. So Maxi was on the show. She went from having someone else make her clothes for her, her store on Melrose on the show to create her own factory to make it and, and save more money. And then she created a factory because she only wears wigs and she was really disenfranchised with the different types of hair she came across. So she wanted to take control of it. And that's how she started. And then I came in a fold. And so given the data that I see behind regarding women with extensions of weaves, and there's no longer a stigma wearing, for women wearing additional dormants. They, it's all about having fun and hair is now almost an accessory. So when I saw the data, I thought, yeah, this is a no brainer. I'm definitely interested. And I, you know, jumped, jumped on board quickly. What were the obstacles to entering that market since there are very few people of color that are, are in it? We didn't reach an obstacle as far as uh, entry, but more location wise because our factories are overseas, um, Pakistan, Turkey, China. So dealing with business um, overseas can be challenging, but we have the right team. And so what's really great about this new business, it's not just the idea that, you know, you're creating it. Like if anybody goes on your website, Exquisite Hair Factory, you kind of show the process, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. How important was it for people to kind of see how their hair is being made and, and where it's coming from? 
Uh, I think it's great to be transparent. I always say that, you know, you, we need to show you exactly what you're getting so you can see that this is real, it's legit, but also connects um, the consumer to the brand. So it's definitely just, you know, definitely keeping all of our consumers really invested in us. And so you're partnering with Quay. How did that partnership come together? Um, Maxi. I was from Maxi. So we all met through Maxi. It's Quay and myself. Um, Maxi and Ashanti, um, who's also on social media. So she brought the four of us together. That's such an interesting choice because he wears wigs all the time. And so, right. And it's playful, it's fun. And so you work with different influencers, but you also use a lot of your own customers in your social media. Is that part of the strategy of kind of promoting your brand? It is. Yes. It's important to show like to be seen, engaged with the brand. People love to see themselves featured. They love it. So it definitely makes sense. So you've done a couple things. So you have Black Girls Making Millions Academy. You also have something for younger women. So Curls Girls Will the World um, is for young girls, girls of color who are looking for mentorship. Um, I remember growing up, I didn't get a mentor until I was much later in life, much older. But growing up and being, you know, where I grew up in the project, basically, you don't, I didn't have access to someone to show me what life could look like outside of my own environment. Mm-hmm. So I, my goal was to help other young girls see the possibilities of what they can be, who they could be. And that's through other women of color that look like them that are doing what they want to do. So we connect them with to mentors for life based on what they want to do in, in, in their later career. So if someone wants to be a doctor, then we'll connect them with a doctor. If they want to be an attorney or a newscaster or a teacher or a scientist, whatever it may be, we curate those mentors for them. And that's a very important, as I talked about mentorship just recently, it's important for success. So why not start early? So that's why I created Curls Girls with the World, to help them get the, a leg up. That's incredible. Can you talk about mindset for a second? Because when growing up in Sacramento, um, you had humble beginnings, but there was something that helped you kind of push through and overcome obstacles that I'm sure that you pull on to this day. What is that mindset or or your personal philosophy for success? I think, uh, well, I know that for anyone to be successful, there's a level of grit that you have to have. And that word is what I always refer to when I describe what it requires to be successful. You have grit that will persevere through the hard times, the tough times, the down times, the times when you feel like you want to give up. And when you get 1,000 no's, grit will keep you moving forward and pushing you, propelling you forward versus um, someone without grit that just gives up easily because they feel like, oh, this, this rejection is too much. You have to have a level of almost desperation with that grit as well to succeed against all odds by any means necessary. And so the being born, say, with a silver spoon in your mouth does not lend well to, for most, success, unless you're just inheriting the money. You inherit it, and then you do what you will with that money. But if you come from nothing, typically that that breathes more grit than someone with a silver spoon. And so that's why you see so many successful entrepreneurs that have come from nothing um, because they, they have a, this grit that's innate and something that has enabled us to pull out of it. And, and you know, the project can do two, one or two things for you, either propel you out of it and get you, give you that grit to succeed or push you further, further back down into it. 
So it's your choice how you want to respond to a negative background. So how do you stay hungry now that you're successful? It's innate. It's one of those things that you don't ever lose once you are have that experience. Going up the way that I grew up, it's not something that goes away. It's not a temporary thing. It's something that is, is a part of my DNA. And so building your company, you had to also build a team. So what do you look for in your team members, in the people that work with you, for you? What qualities do you look for to, that have helped you grow this company? Well, um, it depends on the job, of course, because having employees is like having children. They're all different. But generally speaking, um, the biggest, one of the most important and, and someone who has an open mind, those are just important. It doesn't matter so much. Sometimes it doesn't matter as much as your skill set or your experience. Sometimes it doesn't matter as much as having that coachable spirit. Um, because if, I, if you're coachable, then you can learn anything. If the right attitude, give, you know, you can go anywhere. So that's, that has to happen. That's like a baseline requirement. Did you have a, any kind of growing pains in that area, like how to let go of team members? Because sometimes people hang around too long. No, I've never had a problem letting anyone go because if you are a weak link or dragging the ship down, then we have to cut the cord. Um, so we've had some, of course, we've had to, but um, because sometimes you, you know, people can skate by and deceive you. Um, but I, I've never had a problem making that shift because the business has to succeed and the right team members can either weigh a company down or propel it forward. So, you know, we're a family here and everyone that is a part of the family has to be productive. In terms of your business, you are the sole owner of Curls. Did you ever ask for any outside financing or did you just always have the mentality that I'm going to own this business and keep it for my family? Yes, I never wanted any partners ever in this case, and it, it served me well. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't on my agenda to have a partner. Is there a, a point in time for other women who have businesses where you think they should consider asking for funding? Like, what, what is that benchmark? Well, funding is one thing, and partners another. So if there's a need for funding, then you can look at, like, you know, small business loans, um, line of credit. Um, but partners are different. So sometimes you have to infuse a company with, you know, capital. Um, and I, I prefer going debt-free as much as possible um, and try to fund it yourself and start small because that way you don't have a lot of debt. I just prefer to go debt-free. And some people prefer to go and get debt and then grow faster. But that's a philosophy that, you know, each person has to decide where they, how they want to go. But if the company goes into debt quickly, I, I, I feel the same with all my personal finances. I don't like debt. So I preferred the conservative route, which is go it organically, use my own fund, my own money. I started smaller, but I didn't owe anyone anything. Um, and so it, it's, that's my approach. I love that. I love that. And so... When you started this business, I read that Oprah was always on your vision board. That came true for you. What is on your vision I, board now? You know, I have a lot of things on my vision board, but the funny thing is I have a double-sided one. Um, not funny, but interesting. I have a double-sided um, vision board and one side is business, one side is family. So I'm focused on the family side more of creating, making sure I create more balance. I just went to Oprah's 2020 vision event here in Dallas, and, and we did this um, assessment, and we went through all these different questions, and we had to rank and rate ourselves, and then you see where, where you need to improve. And so my um, area for improvement was balance, and my wellness quotient was kind of low in the balance area. So I'm focusing more on that side, 
and making sure that I keep my life in balance. I have four amazing kids. So that's where I'm, I'm making sure that I'm here for them. We have a lot of activity, a lot of movement, but I want to make sure that my, my, my teenage kids and my dying year old daughter and all of them, they're just able to not only see mom be successful, but see mom be a successful mom and wife. So that, that's also important for me. That's awesome. And self-care is a big thing just for women and entrepreneurs, for sure, because you spend more time actually working for yourself than you do working for someone else. So do you have yeah. a self-care routine? What, what is it that you do to help yourself stay in balance? I love the ocean. So I, I love to go to the ocean and get away. I'm actually going to Turks and Caicos with girlfriends in April. Nice. Um, I love uh, to read. And I love spa days. Those are my my decompressing opportunities for me um, that I really like to embrace is the ocean, travel, and spa days. Um, and so my husband, he knows that he gets, he's like, yeah, it's time. And so that's how I regroup. <laughs> you said it's time. I have just two more questions for you. I saw on your Instagram, it was like a day in the life and it just showed all the things that you do in one day. And you know, I have this idea and this philosophy that regardless of who you are, when we wake up, we all have the same 24 hours. It's just that some people do things differently than others that creates more success. So is there one thing yeah. that you feel you do every day, every 24 hours that propels your success and sustains it? Uh, one thing that I always do, that's a very good question. I plan my day. I plan my day very well. I know what I'm doing be well before that day. So for tomorrow, I have my agenda to make sure that my top three things are done. The top three things are going to get done. Like I have to make sure prioritize what's important and they're listed out. Um, and then I make sure I check those top three things off. And then I get to obviously the rest of things if I, if I can, but those top three things are going to get done. And so I think prioritizing and being um, diligent without my time, I'm very big on saying no more than I say yes. I don't do a lot of meetings that I don't need to be a part of. I will have someone on my team take those. And I don't do a lot of lunches that interrupts my day. And so I, I'm just very, 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 very cautious of my time. It's my most precious commodity and I, and I spend it wisely. Amazing. Okay, last question. This podcast is called Built by a Boss. You definitely built your business from scratch. I would say you are a boss. What is your definition of that? Huh, great question. I think a boss is someone who takes charge of their life, their circumstances, and their happiness. Whatever that may look like for that person is individualized. But if you are taking charge of your life, your happiness, and your circumstances, then you're a boss, 100. 100. All right. Well, thank you, Maisha. For talking with us today, our listeners are going to love everything you had to say. Where can people reach out and find you and follow all the great things that you're doing? Yes, there's a lot I'm doing. So follow me at Mahisha underscore Dellinger for my personal page, which is a mixture of fun, business, my crazy personality. Um, you know, so that's kind of, you know, really to see the real side of me. Uh, business, you can follow me at Curls and Exquisite Hair Factory. Excellent. Excellent. Well, good luck to you. Thank you so much. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for this amazing in interview. It was a great opportunity. Thank you. I'm Evelyn Brooks, and you've been listening to Built by a Boss. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite place. 
If you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review and a comment. You can also follow us on Instagram at Built by a Boss, visit our website, and join our private Built by a Boss Facebook group to learn more about our guests and connect with listeners just like you.